Welcome to I Don't Get It, the pop culture get off my lawn cast. This show features the open-minded musings of two late 40s curmudgeons staring on the prospect of entertainment relevance. I'm your co-host, Bill Scurry of America Caesar Enterprises, which, as we all know, is Eric Adams' lawyer. <laughs> We've been very busy lately, Noah. As we all know. Did I? Uh, I've, su- I've wow. suggested. I've suggested. It's like honestly, because Eric Adams was was uh, elected mayor in the time since I left New York City, and I really just mm-hmm. see the worst news stories that float across. I actually, yeah. he's not somebody I know a lot about because I wasn't aware of him as the as the Brooklyn borough head. But it's a, it almost seems like there's a parallax view of New York happening right now. I, even after De Blasio and how how like you know demotivated dismotivated everyone after that this seems like truly a low point in the new york mayoralty it's hard to it's hard to explain it it really does and uh, you know it's i read there was an article a profile of him in the new yorker a couple months ago that wow yeah i really that, com- yeah. i mean he's very trump like i mean not quite as toxic but narcissism is through the roof yeah and, i mean what why did he get elected because people were ginned up to be scared of crime even though it's not as bad as people think yeah and he's a former cop and then, you know, an African-American candidate is always going to have a, not always, but likely have a solid block of voters. That's it, right? That's but he, he, was a, he was a know-nothing. And people knew that going into him, his Brooklyn uh, borough presidency. He, he was quite literally the definition of a know-nothing in New York City, you know? Well, he was a nativist who wanted to kick out immigrants in the 1840s. Yeah, but he was also, he, <laughs> he was also. There's a, there's a deep historical joke for true. you, friends. He's also clearly not serious. And people, none of people but said. <laughs> Clearly not serious. Look at this country we're dealing with. Half the people what, want what about to have this, president. What about the city we're looking at? The city is not the country. The city is a different body politic altogether. No, it's it's better than most of it. It should country. be. Yeah, it should be. It should be. It's New York fucking city, motherfucker. Anyway, who am I talking um, to right now? I'm. You know, we're both former New Yorkers. It's yes. a little sad, isn't it? Yeah. We we made New York our home for many a year. Hey. Despite what a woman in a diner thought, we were not tourists look at in my, our forties. Look at my current uh, country I live in right now. We're we're lamenting its uh, elected electoral record at this Bill, moment. Bill too. lives in the Netherlands, and if you don't follow international news, they got some they got some bad uh, political news. Yeah, it's last not week. good. It's but, not good. Uh, Welcome to Earth 2023. Uh, I I left New York, but I did not leave the United States, and I am still Noah Tarno, the founder and the. Uh, senior quiz master of the big quiz thing, the trivia game show spectacular. I'm in San Francisco. Hey, we got our own municipal political woes, but uh, you know, our our mayor is not quite as corrupt as Eric. I don't think she's corrupt. Yeah, I so think she's just a little too much under the heel of the police union. But everybody uh, who listens to the show, Noah, knows that our remit is to talk about the local political beat. Uh, the mayor. I once played a game with a friend of the show, Eric Symes, where we tried to name as many. We're such nerds. As many uh, city mayors, current city mayors in the United States as we could, even though we were both at the time really into New York politics. And we we tapped out at like 10. It was a little sad. Well, I can only get to like three. I think I know Los Angeles, uh, San Francisco, and New York, maybe. I don't, I don't even. Who's, uh, Chicago is Prisca right now, do right? You know, do you know Los Angeles? They just got a new one. That's not Garcia? No, it's... Uh, no, Gar- Garcetti. Garcetti. It's not Garcetti right, anymore. Right. Who is it? It is not Garcetti. Chicago just got a new mayor as well. How's that so? A lot of places just got new. No, it's thousands of miles Shows away. From you me. I can't. I can't possibly. I yeah. it doesn't matter. Can't possibly. The mayor of LA is Karen Bass. The mayor right. of Chicago is Brandon Johnson. Okay, there you go. So no. What, anyway, what does this podcast do? If, if not mayoralties, uh, we we don't talk about. We've talked about politicians yeah. before. Believe me, we have. But yeah. I we no, we can't do an episode on Eric Adams. Yeah, it's all right. Usually, we talk about a pop culture thing, something that's hot, that's new, that's happening. It's going on in this world of ours. And today, uh, I stumbled upon this article in Slate about a new movie I hadn't heard of anything, I hadn't heard anything about, about these guys who are writers and sometime performers on Saturday Night Live. I had never heard of them before. Bill, you had heard of them and you were aware of them. You said, good topic. So we watched the movie. We went back and watched some of the old sketches, both on SNL and on YouTube, self-made. Please tell us about the trio of young men known as Please Don't Destroy and their new movie titled Please Don't Destroy The Treasure of Foggy Mountain. I think it's sagacious, by the way, to put the name Please Don't Destroy with a colon in front of it. Like, that takes away... 
I wouldn't say it takes away any haziness, but it definitely adds a stamp of recognition that I think this project... Well, needs. it's bra- branding, my friends. And their SNL little short films always start with a screen that says, a please don't destroy film. Yeah, I mean, how it's many... Smart. Before National Lampoon, I'm, I'm trying to think of when was the last time a brand like led with a colon in front of the movie title? It was really not too I many... Mean, didn't the, doesn't, didn't the Lonely Island do that? No, no, they didn't. They didn't... Uh... Oh, uh, uh, the, 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 the Super Troopers guys... Because the yeah. movie Super Troopers is something Broken Lizard. What do they call it? Yeah, Broken Lizard. Broken Lizard. Yeah, it was called. It, Broken Lizard was in the title. Well, not, no, not in the official title. It definitely was on the on the poster, but it wasn't in the actual title. No, please don't destroy. I it was. Is a heralding back to um, the the National Lampoon Imprimatur. That's that's an old National, school. I feel like there's got to be something else there. Oh, but, well, Cheech and Chong. <laughs> Uh, that's a Cheech and Chong yeah, Inn. Really that work. was the name of the title. Yeah, Cheech and yeah. Chong. Well, Inn. Cheech and Chong. Um, yeah. Abbott and yeah, Costello. Abbott and Costello Inn. Dot 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 dot. Yeah. All right. So Laurel the, and Hardy. The, tre- Inn. the Treasure of Foggy Mountain is a 2023 comedy film directed by Saturday Night Live's uh, one of his in, one of their in-house directors, a comedy specialist by the name of Paul Berganti, who um, I didn't realize I was actually I, I had corresponded with him a few times back when I was putting together really? short short films. Yeah, because wow. he, he was making sketch stuff that showed up. And I, I was the host of a show at the Magnet Theater. And I was always looking for, uh, you know, short videos to put for an hour So long. did you work on this movie? I did not work on this movie. No, it wasn't available. But did Paul, you star in this movie? Yeah, I was featured. I was the, I was, okay, I was in kind of craft services for this movie. Yes. You uh, played the, you played the, the little weird monster in the in the treasure. <laughs> it's uh, so room. weird. It was, yeah. a, it was directed by Briganti. It was produced by Judd Apatow. And again, I don't quite know... I know his name's on the movie, but I don't really see a lot of Apatow in terms of what his usual producerial fingerprint. He might have just picked up the phone and called some people yeah. and gotten them involved. Uh, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, that's probably more likely. And it was written by and starring the YouTube SNL comedy troupe that Noah mentioned. Please don't destroy the three constituents of which are Martin Hurley, he, John Higgins, and Ben Marshall. Young NYU grads who I think are in their mid, mid-20s right now. I believe... Okay, so... I looked this up. I think Higgins and Marshall are a couple years older than Herlihy. So they're like, I think the older guys are like 27 and Herlihy's like 25. Yeah, they're all, like they're all hammer kids. They're young. Homes, they, they, have, they have the fresh dew of youth. And we'll get, we'll get into their background and the whole NYU yeah. hammer cats thing. Anyway, the plot of this movie, though, goes as follows. The trio searches for a lost treasure that they had initially been searching for as kids in a clear pastiche of the Goonies, which is actually was a wise decision to sort of go down that route of, of, of uh, pastiche, uh, I think. So the movie also features... Ah, uh, there's not a lot of Goonies in this. Come on. Oh, there's plenty of Goonies in it. You can make you, 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 you fool to deny that. So uh, Not one appearance of Sloth. Or Mama from Throw Mama from the Train. Right. How Goonies can And Ramsey. So uh, let's yes, see. Right. Bo and Yang, Med Stul- Meg Stalter, X Mayo, who I've only heard of recently too. She's on the make. And uh, Conan O'Brien also star in small roles off to the side. So here's the weird thing is that this was scheduled for theatrical. It was supposed to come out in August and... Uh, you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna go to I'm gonna take a hammer to this later on in the, in the back end of our show in terms of putting a a comedic feature a, a, a dead out you know a dead set comedy in the feature space. We need those things right now, and it's like for some reason, absolutely, it's it's just terrible. Yeah, it's the theaters don't think they can sustain them. It's not man. the theaters. In this case, this was the fucking timidity of of, of you know NBC Universal Shine, well, shine it's on Lee it's company. on Peacock. You, you get it on Peacock, Peacock or yeah other methods that so, aren't necessarily legally or seeable so the thing is the terrible decisions at the nbc universal company yeah prevailed uh and this was thudded on the peacock streaming service on november 17 which again i think is a impediment to this being seen as noah is telling us um so it it, but i why why because it's not in the theater no yes it's not a theater and no one but no one goes to movies like this in the theater well they would if you put them out there you have to sort of like you have to encourage people to see comedies in the theaters the only way to do so I saw last year, I went to the movie theater to see Are You There, God, It's Me, Margaret. And it was so refreshing to see a movie in which nothing blew up in a movie theater. Uh, yeah. It was pretty cool. Go to see The Holdovers. And it was a good everybody. movie. Holdovers. Trust me, there's, there's movies for okay. people out now that, that mean something. No shit blows yes. up. Yes, means something. Uh, so the thing is, I think the movie, in spite of the limitations, almost like the chosen designed limitations, the rails put upon it, it seems to have developed a little bit of a cult following. I think that... People were waiting for it. And whoa, whoa, whoa. It's developed a cult following and it's been out for a week? Well, I think it ha- with the um, the small, thin, you know, the, the, the amount of audience is able to get a hold of. 
the chatter among, among people is that there are a bunch of evangelists who are saying it is worth seeing. And I say a cult, a cult following in terms of like people on Twitter. I, just, I don't think that's what cult following means. But. Well, it's all right. Don't be pedantic about it. It's all right. So I think that this is destined to be forgotten as all studio film comedies are these days. So it's kind of like pushing <laughs> a rock up a hill a little bit. Um, but, you know, I think what we're going to do is talk about uh, the Please Don't Destroy guys. We're going to talk about this movie. And this at least gives us the excuse to discuss it because, like Noah says, so far, neither of us paid attention to these guys as a phenomenon. And, I mean, I had even stronger feelings than just, like, Noah didn't know they existed. I knew they existed. And I kind right. of, I knew, I, I avoided their existence. But, Noah, tell me a little bit about what you thought of the movie. You know, it's all right. I mean, I uh, I rarely laughed out loud, but it works as a comedy. I was entertained. And, you know, um, it's funny because this is two weeks in a row we're talking about young comedians, yeah. right? Yep. Last week we yep. talked about Matt Reif, the hottest stand-up of the moment. And was that just last week? It was. Can you believe it? Life goes too fast, man. And uh, even since then, I like Matt Reif less because um, he he responded. If you don't know, he you know people were we talked about his new Netflix special, and he made he made a joke that made light of um, domestic violence. And some people responded saying that's not funny. And his response, he's like, "Here's my apology," and he linked to a website where you can purchase helmets worn by developmentally disabled children. Oh. God. And look, I always say you can make jokes about anything. It's about context. Some things you got to be very careful about. I just thought that was mean spirited. <laughs> like, like he's got a right to make a joke about domestic violence. People have the right to criticize him about it. But and of course, he has the right to. But it's just mean spirited and, and made me like him a little less. But even when last week when I said, like, he's OK, he still comes off as very douche bro -y. And you know, I left this movie liking these guys. And unfortunately, I mean, maybe it's always been this way in comedy, but I feel like more now, like so much of whether I approve of comedy or whether I like comedy or whether I have positive feelings about it are like, do I like these people or do I want to, you know, hit these people over the head with a two by four? And I didn't want to hit these guys over the head with a two by four a lot. It's really important to, I don't know. I, I, a lot of my take on comedy is, what do I think of these people creating this? Kind that's you know the not the not hitting them with a two by four is a good Q rating thing. That's a good start. Yes, with, yeah, good, good, good shark. We need to add that to our phony yeah. skill. Uh, the movie keeps moving. I think it's well written. Uh, there are a lot of details that uh, are crammed in, but a lot of recurring jokes that don't get thrown by the wayside that they come back to in in good time. Uh, little things like how you know the the park ranger. Uh, and John have crushes on each other. And by the way, I did like how John, Martin, and Ben, their characters are also called John, Martin, and Ben. That's like that's like some appealing laziness. Uh, Lisa and John have a crush on each other. There's this hawk that they're intermittently um, harassed by. Um, uh, uh, Martin has this other identity as this character, Lawrence, who comes back for the climax. They're small jokes, but they work. And then some jokes don't work as well. There's occasionally cheap humor. There's a joke about all lives matter that I thought was just silly. And there's a dirty joke about Bussy that I feel was thrown in very, you know, gratuitously and just whatever. But as I said, it keeps moving in a way that when a joke doesn't work, you can put it aside um, very quickly. You know, because when you step back, it's a real threadbare plot, but somehow all the details make, uh, the plot work sustain 90 minutes. Um, you know, after I watched this movie, I went back and watched some of their SNL sketches. Cause as I said, I, my SNL interaction these days is like whatever videos pop up on the news someday, Monday, whatever I watch. So I haven't sat down and watched Saturday night live all the way through in probably 15 years. Which is sad, Bill, because that was like the center of my life when and, I was in And high they, they changed it specifically to change their demo, and it, it is unrecognizable to people of our cohort. And it is mostly a thing but that. That's okay. SNL should change over time. Oh, no. Change is one thing, but the idea is that yeah. it is designed to be seen in TikTok fragments. It's designed. Okay, to... well, this is the world we're in. Okay. We couldn't see shit in TikTok fragments in 1992. So, you know, it didn't work that way. Um, so I went back and watched their SNL sketches, and I got to say, I like their SNL sketches better. And I guess most of them are just these scenes of the three of them in the SNL, their little SNL writer's room. And um, I, those made me laugh harder. And that I thought about that. Maybe it indicates that their comedy might be better suited for short work and not a full movie. 
But as I said, I thought the movie sustained 90 minutes. Um, so it's not like they couldn't do it. I just think maybe they're a little better when it's in these these quick bursts where, you know, very kind of an old-fashioned comedy idea. Like, you lead up to the joke, you establish the absurdity, you push the absurdity to the next level, and then the next level, and then the next level, and then you conclude. I mean, that's sort of an old, old format. And I have a lot of respect for that because there's literally infinite variations you can do on that and infinite ways you can make people laugh with that. Um, so, yeah, you know, I'm not sure why that their type of humor might work, might work better in short bursts. My skills as a comedy analyst um, are not that great. Perhaps that's why I utterly failed as a comedian. But, um, you know, these guys, they got something. They got something. The movie's not bad, you know. I liked it. Didn't love it. I liked it. So, yeah, I, uh, I, I, I give this uh, definitely on the thumbs up side of this yeah, I have a high bar for comedy in feature form, and I haven't seen um, too many comedies in the last, Jesus, five years or so. It's been rough. You know, one movie that people really go to bat for is that Game Night, which I did not like. I thought Game Night was an action movie that With was weird. Jason Bateman? Yeah, and uh, Rachel McAdams. Oh, yeah. I didn't realize that was a comedy. I thought that was like a thriller. No, it was a comedy, but I think it was wearing the hat of comedy on top of the, oh, the, rest I, of the head I piece. I just read about it. Okay. It was It was more, I thought it was more set pieces based on action. And I did, I did not think the comedy bits were as funny as people made them out to be and it seemed to me that it was, it was more interested in being a four quadrant action movie even though it was a rated R thing um, yeah so I think comedy everybody knows you don't need me to go into it where comedy is, is languishing right now it's not doing very well but uh, I really like it's tragedy plus time you know? we need well we got the time part tragedy we're working up to but I, I really yeah. I really like this like you know the 90 minute thing it, I had low expectations I had no expectations again I just I think that uh, thinking, okay, there's no competition right now uh, in terms of like what other feature comedies came out in 2023, and there was no hard feelings, which nobody really liked. That that kind of fell with a thud. Um, there's a movie called Totally Killer out right now uh, with Kieran and Shipka, and I think that's even a fusion of horror and comedy. So you know, it's not like is a, that in the theater? May not be. Maybe in the theaters, it may be. It may be a VOD drop for. All I've I seen know. ads for it on like Amazon. Yeah, Hulu. And Amazon. I'm like, who is that woman? She looks very familiar, and that's when I realized she was Sally Draper. I'm like, yeah. holy shit! Yeah. So I, I watched this and, and I liked it quite a bit. I thought that these guys crafted a movie uh, that has a high JPM, you know, joked per minute ratio, and to me, it's like. Uh, there, it's one thing to make a comedy and then people, um, I don't know if it's predatorial oversight or if it's inexperience or if it's just a lack of guidance. Uh, they somehow do not make a comedy funny. It starts off funny, but then it turns into a conventional movie in the back half. And that has plagued many, many, many a comedy where people just stop making a movie funny. And I tell you, the only comp I can think of is The Lonely Island when they made uh, Hot Rod and they made uh, Never Stop, Never Stopping. They make their movies funny. They actually take the time to fill their movies with jokes from end to end. It definitely light lets up a little bit as it gets into the mechanisms of their plots. However, they take the care to make it funny so that it's worth watching the entire movie, even for the density uh, and, you know, it lightens up a little bit. And I think that these guys, considering this is their first feature, um, it's the same thing where it's like they took great care to make jokes. And I would think that because they've been on SNL for two years. What, have you guys spent a lot of what you had in the tank? It's like your job on a weekly basis is to crank out comedy on a schedule, which is tough. That is sometimes a killer for curiosity or I should say creation and, 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 and sort of like curation. And yet they still had a feature inside of them that had new jokes or riffs on themes that they've done in their Please Don't Destroy um, videos. So, I mean, I'll definitely recommend this if you get a hold of it. Uh, but, however, I want to go back to what I, I said. I avoided Please Don't Tell on SNL <laughs> for a long oh, time. Oh, there's something we haven't gotten to. I see what's coming. I see yeah. where I'm going. Yeah, exactly. I could yeah, not swallow I uh, these guys' privilege that they had. It was very difficult because the first thing I heard about them was that they were Nepo. Well, two of the three are Nepo babies. Um, and not only that, they are Nepo kids of Saturday Night Live creators. Yes, very specific. It's not just like, oh, dad was an agent or something. Yeah. So Hurley, he's dad, was somebody who co-wrote in the 90s. And he's Martin. He's a, a Sandler's like script writer of choice. He's, he's written a billion. Uh, going back to The Wedding Singer. But also, and, and Billy he Madison. He co-wrote The Wedding Singer musical. Yeah, right. And But he also, yeah. like Hubie Howell, he's still writing this garbage that, that he put that ben, uh, Adam Sandler puts out on Netflix. He's still uh, in the Adam Sandler camp. He's essentially one of Adam Sandler's stooges. 
Uh, and the other guy's John. Jo- he's a stooge. He's clearly a stooge. And John- just picture Adam Sandler with like the three stooges following. And John Higgins him. is the son of Steve Higgins, who was an SNL writer and producer. And Steve Higgins is this is intersectional with so many of our topics. Steve Higgins is the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon's announcer. He's like one of the bleacher creatures on the Tonight. But Higgins has been working at Thirty Rock for I would say at least twenty years or so. And Higgins also was one of the Higgins boys in Gruber. Who I didn't realize that's who these guys were back in the eighties and nineties when. I was watching a million hours of stand-up. There was a, an alt-comedy team called the Higgins Boys and Gruber, three dudes uh, who I think they were from the Midwest. And, you know, like they've all sort of bounced around. They stuck around in comedy. Only Ben Marshall is not, he doesn't come from a comedy legacy. But, yeah, but they all met in NYU. Yes, that's so the thing. They, they all yeah. met at NYU. NYU is a prestige network for comedy stars. I don't even know if it's about the education anymore so much as it is. You get to NYU, chances are in your dormitory. You're going to meet somebody who is on the make and you're going to have an access to a world that the rest of us can't. I mean, I'm not saying they're not they're not funny. That's, that's the weird part about this. It's like, I, it took me a while to break the seal on their own personal form of um, absurdism like they, the, the well-designed short bits that they do on the show reminded me of like jack handy you know the, clearly these guys in addition to being inheritors or a lot of privilege and i don't know how much they own it I, I guess that's i didn't really check into that but it does seem like they paid attention to their dad's friends because they are emulating some of who in my opinion are some of the finest to do it and they're understanding why a guy like jack handy like how he wrote good stuff uh, you know, the, the particular elevated form of, you know, comedy that Jack Candy came up with. So Jack Candy was a guy who wrote like Unfrozen Caveman Lawyer and, and just some of these really, t- to me, just out of time sketches that just endure. Yeah, very absurdist. Yeah, yeah. absurdist. They really it, stood out on us. But they're like yeah. far side things. They're like, they're like, you know, paintings in some ways. They, they tra- they're almost like ugly pretty. They work so well. So, yeah, you know, the movies, the movie, it turns out it was great. And I, I'm happy to report that I'm finding new comedy, new viable comedy from an unlikely source. And not only that, people I thought I would fucking hate. Pussies. The fuck did you just say to us? You heard me, Slenderman. Buy some beer. We'll beat your ass. Oh, <laughs> wow. All right, bro, bro. You asked for it. Thanks, boys. Why is Please Don't Destroy a successful comedy unit in this day and age. Why is this, why did this movie get made? And why, I mean, do we know yet whether it's quote unquote a hit? Nah, we, I mean, you we, said we it's a cult know. hit, but I, I don't think that applies yet. So like, why does anyone care about these guys in this movie? Well, let's put it this way. The movie was made for a self-selecting group of comedy nerds who enjoy that light touch of surrealism slash absurdism. It's more absurdism more than surrealism. Uh, that they, they specialize oh, in... Oh, now who's being pedantic? Uh, that's true. You got me there. <laughs> that they, they specialize in this sort of thing. And, and you know, one thing I read in the Slate piece, by the way, was that they said that their particular form of comedy, since it's so dependent on an edit, that it actually is not suited for the live venue. Like, ironically, their thing, their thing is not live sketches in front of people. I'm, I'm not saying they couldn't do that, but it's like their particular art form is so... It's a video art form based on quick cuts and absurdity and things like that. You know, a lot of associate, like, you know, what is it? Coolish off editing type. Also, look, the thing is actually funny. You know, they seem very likable uh, and they seem, and, and this maybe has to do with the fact that how they came, how they got put over for me a little bit is that they, um, at the very basis of their comedy, they seem to be the butt of every single joke. It's almost how could how can somebody take a shit on them, or how could they take a shit on each other? But they are completely punching up the well. They are the ones being punched at, and considering that you know, I think it's a safe posture for you to. It's a safe and it's actually a very responsible posture to take when you come from comedy royalty, and you're maybe that's part of them owning it a little bit. Is sort of saying, well, let's at least make ourselves the butt of the joke. We're not going to try to claim we're high status alpha comedians they clearly don't do that uh you know and structurally on top of it look the movie was made by a capable uh director who's done some stuff before and i think this paul verganti guy um hopefully he picks up more work for this because i think he's got a light touch even if he stays in the snl family it's a good decision look the the first thing that hits you with the why is the nepotism right like i used to say i don't know if this is true but i used to say that like if my parents had been important in show business i would have I would have got my foot in the door enough to at least make some kind of career, right? Of course, but like, absolutely. Had, well, thank you. That's very kind. I had none of those connections. So, you know, I, I mean, I do have a career in something like show business, but you know what I mean. Um, 
but it seems to me they do the work from what I read. Like they are very exacting. They take ton, they get tons of shots of their short films. They're always looking for the perfect reaction shot. And, you know, you know, we talk about in the show a lot, first pass comedy, which I think current entertainment is plagued by. And I don't get that sense from them. Like not every joke lands, but I, most of the jokes don't feel like it's the first idea off the top of their heads. It, it really looks like they work on it. Um, those SNL short films are really like that have the format of absurdity, heightened, heightened, heightened. I really feel like they kind of really spend time thinking about what is the next layer here. Um, and uh, I think, uh, you know, something that also that particularly has plagued SNL in recent years is celebrity cameos. Like I remember watching much of SNL a few years ago and just I, like half the show now is just the audience applauding when some celebrity shows up for a 15 second cameo. And I'm like, enough of this shit already. So, you know, celebrities the most powerful force in show business. And I thought this movie and their short films do celebrity cameos right. Uh, I mean, I guess the most famous face in this movie is Conan O'Brien. He has, you know, a bit of a meaty supporting part. But, A, you know, Conan is not the most obvious celebrity. And, you know, he does the work. And it's fun. It's fun to see him there. And it doesn't feel cheap. Um, they also have... I don't want to give it away because they lead up to a big celebrity coming. Big, and it's big like the celebrity. last person... You, yeah. yeah, exactly. Well, I expected it to be someone huge. And the fact that it was just someone who, like... You kind of like, basically, you, you don't even know his name at first. You just, he's just identified as the character he's known as. Yeah. You know, that's funny. They could have done something cheap and like brought in Taylor Swift and, you know, been too obvious. But no, that was funnier. And speaking of Taylor Swift, one of their videos in SNL that's not them in the, in the, um, in the room, the, the, the writing room is Pete Davidson's like, I want to make a short film with you. And it's a music video making fun of the three of them. It's called Three Sad yeah, Versions. I was going to say, it's called Three Sad Versions. That's important. Yeah. And Taylor Swift shows up. And of course, she's she's always game when she's on SNL. So it's funny. It's actually funny with, you know, Pete Davidson and Taylor Swift. It's, it's celebrity cameos done right. So, you know, they take these techniques that can be cheap and they make them work for them. They, 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 Take the privilege and make something out of it, both the nepotism and the access to these celebrities. Um, also, I just think, look, they have a modern sensibility without coming off as douchey, right? You know, we praise Matt Reif to an extent because he gets stand-up, he does it with a modern sensibility, but he comes off as douchey. They don't do that. Um, they have this way of humor. I'm going to be bad explaining this, but like, They'll be in an argument and there'll be an aside, like in a complaint about an aside. And it's it feels so of a generation that's distracted by everything. They're talking about, you know, they're trying to find this treasure and they get their hands on it. But then they find themselves in this cult compound. And one of them's like, don't worry, I hid the treasure. And like, where'd you hide it? He's like, I hid it right under the chair of the of Bo and Yang, who's the cult leader. He's like, why'd you hide it there? And they're yelling at him like, this is a bad idea. And he says, well, what was I going to do? Walk around with a tote bag? And one of them says, the issue was the tote bag? <laughs> like just how this, this side note becomes important enough to spend three seconds on. Uh, they do a thing that's actually quoted in that Slate article about someone saying like, oh yeah, like we don't have to pay taxes. Like you don't pay your taxes? <laughs> I don't, and a lot of people do this, but these little side sub arguments that get tossed in in the middle of larger discussions feels very much of a generation that just constantly is distracted, moves on to other things, multitasks, and it feels real. It feels modern. It doesn't slow down the plot. So, you know, as much as I understand the young comedy mindset, I feel like they've tapped into it without being offensive, without being douche bro without being cheap most of the time. Where the fuck were you? You're three hours late. Dad, you don't understand. The soups was busted, so we had to shred. You had to shred? Wait a minute, why are your lips red? Were you eating a snow cone? It's a really good guess. The police are here, and they're saying that you bought alcohol for minors. Oh, no. Yeah, that's a crime. In Europe, the drinking age is like 10. They could have been European. What made you think they were European? They had a certain je ne sais quoi. I think yeah. one of them was eating pent au chocolat. Noah, with the 13-year-old comedy nerd, you have liked this as a kid. Oh, yeah, I would have loved this. 
I would love this. Um, you know, one movie I'm reminded of, I was reminded of when I watched this, is Wayne's World. Now, Wayne's World, for those who don't know, was based on a really popular series of SNL sketches that uh, Mike Myers and Dana Carvey primarily probably started in like 88. You know, that the glory days for us of SNL, late 80s, early 90s, when we were in high school. And they came out with Wayne's World in what, 91, 92? And that movie was like everything to me and my friends, my male friends, right? We related to it because even though we didn't dress like those guys, I hated Aerosmith, it was our sense of humor, the way guys sit around and talk and joke and in a, regard In the a world. wood panel basement, yeah. In a wood, you know, something like that, yeah. And one of the things that's kind of charming about these guys is how they it feels real in terms of like their real friends sitting around joking. But, you know, they take it to an absurd level and the way they snipe on each other. You say they're always the butt of the jokes and the sniping is is good natured, but funny. Uh, I also like that there's not one guy who's always the butt of the joke, like sketch by sketch, a different one of the three guys is the butt of the joke, which is, you know, feels very equitable. Um, I don't know if that matters, but, but just feels very, I don't know. I, I like that. Um, they're smart without being afraid of young guy humor. Um, you know, there are a lot of bits in the movie I don't like. There's an extended bit where they attack each other with a taser. And I didn't think I was funny at all. And I thought it went on way too long. But I think if I were young, I would like that, you know, because as much as I still have an appreciation for cheap or obvious or, you know, monkey on roller skates or heavy guy falling down a steps humor, I had more of appreciation for it then. And, um, you know, they lean into that, whatever. Maybe they know their audience or maybe they're just 26-year-old guys. But, um yeah, this would have definitely scratched uh, a, a, a spot with me as a young man. And God, I would have, well, we'll get to this in later, but I would have dreamed of following these guys' path for sure. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's obvious, I think, to both of us. Yeah, yeah. Th this, oh, yeah. this would have served as a tonic. I, I picked 13 years old because th at that point, I think, um, I, like we're hunting and craving for like the funniest movies imaginable. Something about my cinephilia, in so much as it was uh, a cinephilia at that point, was like looking for comedies that meant something. And that's when I discovered Spinal Tap, and that's when I discovered the ZAZ movies. Like, there's some of these legendary things you get your hands on. Um, so this this was like exactly the sort of tonic I, I was searching for as an antidote for movies that were supposed to be funny when I was younger. I mean, and now. Even even it's it's as I say there's there's a panoply of movies I enjoy, but comedy now is sort of like caviar. You know, you're you're lucky to find the one movie, and it's going to be a boutique movie made for you, I guess, because you're just not making a lot to pick from right now. It's like a luxury item. It's hard to say, but you know, one of my first um, favorite franchises, like I said, was was the Zucker Abrams Zucker movies of um, Kentucky. I hadn't seen Kentucky Fried movie for a long time, but um, Airplane. They didn't make Airplane Two, uh, Top Secret. They didn't make Airplane Two. No, some other guy, some other guy did that. It was out. I didn't know that. Yeah, that wow. that wasn't theirs. They the, the, the studio wanted that. a sequel. They didn't want to do one, and they said, "Well, we're going to make it anyway without you." And you know, look, it's a, it's it's it resembles Airplane if you look at it from the side. Um, some <laughs> some of it's successful. It's shaped like Airplane. Yeah, and uh, what it doesn't about, fly as well? I was going to say the Naked Gun. Uh, the, the Police Squad TV series and the Naked Gun movies, at least two of them, uh, two of the three. It's like that that was like some of the gold standard. You know, the the the, the ZAZ, Zucker Abrams Zucker, had um, Marx Brothers quick hit sensibility. Um, you know, and, and the thing is, is that ZAZ was at a time where they could add sex and nudity to the, like, Kentucky Fried movie has, has, has tits and ass in it. You know, there's shower scenes and there's stuff like that. You can get away with that stuff because it's more exploitative back in the old days, you know. Um, even Airplane. Now, Airplane had had a jiggling set of boobs inside of a shirt, but no, I don't think any real nudity. <laughs> uh, these guys don't engage in the sort of, there's no room for saucy sexiness. I think they're, they're withholding. Very from little, very Yeah, little. I mean, even the relationship is very chaste, the sort of crush is, well, is the movie ends with the two of them going in, you know, yeah, I know. about to have sex. I know, but, but it's like what they do. Neither, neither of them are fashion plates, which makes it a little feel a little more honest. Yeah, and know? it's like I'm, I'm, I didn't need nudity, but I have where it's like nudity in a comedy. If it was like Kentucky Fried Movie, or if it was something where there was boobs in it, it seemed like we crossed over the threshold into like, oh, now we are truly firing on all adult cylinders, and it made comedies more enjoyable. But like, I this isn't the you know people are not putting 
naked women in movies now. It's not happening. Like women don't want to be naked in movies. Women don't want to watch movies yes. with, with naked women in them. I was just taking an evening bath. With your computer? Yes, doing research. While I was at the baptism reception today, I came upon an enlightening discovery. Why are you talking like that? Guys, I think I know where the treasure of Foggy Mountain is and I think we should go get it. The treasure of Foggy Mountain? Like from when we were kids? Bill, is in any way the rise of Please Don't Destroy the, you know, presumed success of the treasure of Foggy Mountain is in any way are these signs of the apocalypse? Well, not this filmed output. Um, you know, I'm glad you brought up Wayne's World, by the way, because um, one of the things people have bitched about in terms of the death of feature comedy, the 90-minute comedy, is the fact that SNL used to be a fairly reliable feeder system going back to the Blues Brothers. Uh, I think for most of the 80s, it wasn't. No, no, no. I mean, Am I wrong? But there was very little between like the Blues Brothers and Wayne's World. Well, I mean... Uh, how about the guys that came out? It, it gave us guys like Belushi. It oh, us- I see. I I thought you meant literally like movies adapted from sketches. You mean the writers? No, that picked up in the nineties for sure. That oh yeah, talent. Yes, Broad- Broadway video. Read Lorne Michaels yeah. made a conscious decision to actually produce films yes. himself. But it's like which yeah. is why we got a Night at the Roxbury and, and yes. other classics. Like it's that. Pat and. Ladies man. Did anyone see It's Pat? Uh, yeah, so the thing is, is that SNL, <laughs> SNL used to turn out, used to be a factory of both IP that you, sketches that could turn into movies, but also that the actual people, the, the, the hands of comedy yes. came out of yes. SNL. And it's like you had a long morbid period where the, the SNL people, uh, people like Kristen Wiig and, um, you know, like they made movies, but they weren't the focus of movies. They weren't, Kristen Wiig could not inflate a movie from within. Neither could Fred Armisen. Uh, you didn't like Bridesmaids? I did, but Bridesmaids was, was a Paul Feig movie. It was it was a creature of writing. Kristen Wiig was the, she wasn't necessarily the tentpole that made the thing work because she wasn't like Chevy Chase in the old days. Where she, I thought she carried it as the star. She carried it, but I think. But I'm was, a big fan of her. Yeah, no, and she's great as well she should be. But it's yeah. like, you know, Chevy Chase got movies made. Chevy Chase got many movies made just by showing yes. up because he would sign up. Unfortunately. Off. Yeah, exactly. That's what I'm saying. So here's the thing. Like I said, we have, you know, this is an example of something that you don't see a lot of, which is a, a feeder system, a sort of farm team for movie talent. I hope this is consumed. I hope this is recognized as a quality product. Uh, but we'll get to the bad side of this is that the decision by programmers and senior VPs at Universal, NBC, Shinehart, Wig Company um, you know, this massive entertainment conglomerate, conglomerate and all the sister conglomerates like it to choke their own product to death by making stuff that is essentially bundled onto streamers, which is the equivalent of burying it alive, like Joe Pesci at the end of a casino, just pushing him into a hole in a cornfield and start to shovel dirt onto his mouth. He's still oh, breathing. Spoiler alert. Yeah, come yeah. on. Uh, when you build things and put them in a place that no one pay attention to because you know everyone making their own streamer was a premature idea and it was terrible and it's I think it's handicapped a lot of good material so it's like but we are talking about this I think against the either designs or the wishes of the market which is good but I think of like how many other things were accidentally just lost and tossed away because it it was going to be put on Paramount Plus or, you know, I don't know. How many features show up on Peacock? Or Freebie. Or fucking... It's Amazing Jury Duty, which yeah. you talked about. I know. Well, that broke no out. one heard of. And it's like, Freebie. how many other... Yeah. But Grant says, there's probably not as many juries duty out there as we would hope. And we're lucky mm. we found the one that there was. But it always begs yeah. the question, how much more stuff out there is there that we're not getting a chance to champion? Yeah, every all these separate streamers. You know what someone should do? Someone should make a company <laughs> that, right... You see where I'm going with this, that you pay one monthly fee, and the fee probably changes month by month based on who knows what, uh, that combines all the streamers and the one that they all go straight to your TV. And then, you know, if you have a problem, you call them on the phone, you get the worst customer service in human history. Uh, Yeah, this is not a sign of the apocalypse because it's quality and, you know, even if this movie doesn't go anywhere, I mean, they made a fucking movie with celebrities. I mean, it's, (laughs) it's more than our work, right? So they have been pushed to a level that the vast majority of entertainment people aren't at. And also, like I said before, like the sex content is relatively chaste. You know, you got a a dorky looking guy and a heavy girl. And, you know, it's not like a Matt Matt Reif, which makes us think, oh, are we at a world where, you know, all all the comedians will be have even comedians have to be cute? Well, these guys push back against that. You know, I mean, they're not ugly, but they're no one's idea and of like. They're not nearly fashion. as popular as Matt Rife, unfortunately, too. Right. They're not going to be on the cover of, you know, Team Beat or is Team Beat even still published? I don't even know. Yeah. 
Anyway, um, you know, they don't have that thing going. I mean, they're not even like Pete Davidson, who I don't get it, but people really think he's cute. Um, yeah, and in fact, there was a Slate article. There was another Slate article, the one of this week that reviewed the Treasure of Foggy Mountain, but it linked to an earlier one where they talked about, I think it came out in January of 22, and it said like, they are the thing, they are the most important thing that's making this series of SNL the best, this season of SNL the best season in a while. Um, and they basically posited something. It was in the headline. You know, Lorne Michaels has got to be, I mean, he's got to be pushing 80, right? Oh, at least, yeah. And he is, has talked about retiring. He's still at the helm of SNL. And it basically said, like, these three guys should take over for Lorne Michaels, right? Um, you know, and I, I mean, based on this and the sketches I watched, like, I'm sure you could do worse, right? Notice your hair is Jesus style. Their extensions. Yeah, Amy loves it. It's cool, man. You look like uh, a born again member of Metallica. You look like if Reba was on Undercover Boss. So I wouldn't be throwing stones from that glass house of yours. All right, Noah, and our final two segments here. We're going to talk about the <laughs> uh, the dirty uh, places of our soul. We, we we have to reveal for the audience here. What about jealousy? And is there any element of this that makes you jealous? Uh, could could you engineer something I'm more jealous of? Um, I, I mean, honestly, I honestly you, do not think so, believe it or not. Well, but it depends on what you mean jealousy. Like, I was definitely super mega jealous of Jimmy Fallon. But some of my feelings about Jimmy Fallon were like, he does, you know, a little sour grapes. Like, he doesn't deserve it because he's not that good. Like, I always say about Jimmy Fallon, like, he's like the most talented guy at the high school talent show. I mean, these guys didn't blow me away the way like Key and Peele did. My jealousy is in that. I think I see myself in them more than any other topics we looked at. And my ambitions as a teenager, you know, this would have been my dream straight out of college, getting hired by SNL, not only to write sketches, but to like do my own sketches and then getting a movie. And without, like, I never really wanted to become the cute, cool guy. I wanted to still be me, the awkward, you know, semi-average dude. Um, But there's an element of this that really I am jealous of more than you know, if it was, we we're talking about one solo guy or something, is that they're a unit and they really seem to be a solid unit. It said in that article, when they write to like PR people and they write these, these collective letters that are signed the boys. So, and the idea that they could take over, Saturday, they could replace Lauren Michaels as a triumvirate. They're like a band. You know, every time I fantasize about being a rock star, it's not about being a, a solo guy. It's about having a band. And, you know, when I was young, I had friends like this, male friends, but I never had a creative partnership. I mean, you and me, Bill, this is the this is the best creative partnership I've ever had. You know, this is actually one of the things that that bothers me about my job and my business. I like being the boss, but on the other hand, like, you know, and, and not to take anything away from the, the various people who work for me, but I think I would have liked better being in a, a team where we all kind of pitch in evenly, right? And I never really felt I had that. And maybe that's, Something just my temperament isn't suited for. That's possible. But, you know, my my impulse is that I never met the right people. So I'm jealous of the idea that you can find this comedy unit and work together and kind of, you know, let me put it this way. I think there are good reasons why I didn't make it as a stand-up or a sketch guy. I tried all those things. I think I had some talent. I probably wasn't good enough to be the guy, but I might have been good enough to be one of three guys. Yeah, you share the success and you share the failure. That's the important right. part of yeah, it. Yeah, and you share the work. And yeah. yeah, and so I'm jealous of that, that they found each other at NYU and that they made this unit and that they work so well together. I, you know, I'd like to be part of a band. Yeah, but, man. Um, uh, the you know, the, whatever. The NYU thing is so important to you. I am, I'm jealous. I'm, I'm, I am, um, I have this ambivalence because I'm jealous and supportive of these guys in the effort. You know, I, it resembles exactly the kind of pipeline I wanted to enter when I made comedy shorts. Now, granted, I, I was pushing, I was late thirties, mid, mid to late thirties by the time I started making comedy and I wasn't going to have a future in it, but I realized quickly the idea that if you were in one of those NYU dorms, I don't know if the education there is any good, but I do know that you bought yourself access to a network. You know, it's like, it's like people, people who go to the Ivies have a handshake for the rest of their life. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's like, this is the it counts for a lot. This is the fucked up thing about America yeah. is that, you know, your college still pays dividends when you're in your middle age. It's like you still, it opens doors continually if you get the right school. And with comedy, there are very few places. I would say NYU, I would say Northwestern in filmmaking. 
There was a USC and places like that. Uh, places like Yale, Princeton, and Harvard plug you into everything. Yeah, it, again, generally that's they're they're uh, more holistic. But in terms of comedy and, and performing, like NYU was a feeder system. Like that, yeah. Yeah, I will say that. But my point is, Harvard, Yale, and Princeton. You want to do comedy, they will connect you. To oh, that's true. Harvard. Yeah. Harvard and, and yeah, both of hasty, them. I mean, hasty pudding for sure. Yeah, that's it's a hasty it's, pudding at Harvard. Yeah. I mean, you know, our friend Katie Venino has told me stories about the comedy scene at Yale. Like that is a big leg up, just because of the names are so cute. And Yale's adjacent to YSD, which is also an, an, an academy, an acting academy, unlike most yeah. others in the country. So yeah, the thing is, it's like these guys had access to a place I couldn't get into. You know, they they sailed through that. They sailed to SNL. They they wound up exactly in their father's shoes in two of the three cases. You know, um, so that's the thing. I couldn't get into NYU. Well, I, I, when I wanted to, when I, when I would have wanted to get into NYU back in 1992 when we were sending out, uh, you know, there's no way I could have touched anywhere near NYU. And I'm not a funny enough person when I was making comedy to create things as good, and not as a performer, not as a cameraman, not as an editor. This comfortable team puts it all on the way I would have liked to have been. So, yeah, the ambivalence is, uh, the ambivalence is real, but I can... Um, Definitely support their, uh, I can support their efforts and get behind it while nursing the old jealousy of it all. And Noah, since you brought up, um, what is it, uh, uh, Higgins, Higgins Pear, Steve Higgins, the show that he announces and produces for. Higgins Pear. Pear, the Jimmy Fallon Tonight Show, the Floney scale on the scale of XYZ yeah. axis of stuff we talk on the show. Where would you call yeah. this, Noah? Well, I think comparing them to Matt Reif, which I did 30 times, is too obvious here. So here's how I, here's where, please don't destroy with their, you know, relevant or not relevant to the specific movie. Here's where they fall on our XYZ axis with all our past topics. Matt Reif is too obvious. So I looked at recent comedy topics we did. You remember we looked at Colleen Ballinger? Oh, yes. And I just posted the thing that she did recently in your in yeah. our chat this week. Yeah. Yeah. And she fucking sucks. Even apart from, you know, her turning out to be insane or something. So Colleen Ballinger times negative one. So now you're on the positive side. Um, but you're very high on the positive side. So then you have to subtract one third of a recent comedy thing we looked at that I liked quite a bit, which is beef. All right. Oh, yeah. So Colin Ballinger times negative one minus one third of beef plus 41.8x. Mm-hmm. Now, as for the value of x... I like to leave a little mystery. Oh, only you know for sure it's true. Only I know for sure. And my hairstylist. Mr. X. So, yeah. Or Charles yeah. Xavier in this case. Uh, Charles. Be. Professor. Hey, he didn't spend 12 years at mutant school to be called Mr. He lost his hair along the way. And it looks much better on him than it does for me. Believe it. Do they, do they have a canonical way, story of how Professor X, Professor, Professor X lost his hair? Yeah, I think it's his trauma. Um, I mean, in the movies. Trauma. in the Yeah, it's trauma. I think in the movies it, they definitely have. But in the comic books, I think it might have had to do when, his, when, he, when he was shot and it made him paralyzed. I think he lost his hair in the same. Oh, because oh, that's how it works. Yeah. I, know. I thought it was because there was a fire in his lab and Superboy came to put it out and the chemicals blew his hair off. And he was bald and he vowed revenge. It just, it just can't be genes. It has to be some horrific accident. It has to be some yeah, horrific right. Accident tied into you know secret wars or something oh. that happened in this. I'm going to use as a comp. I think I've used her recently. SZA. Um, I'm going to employ her again because uh, I'll t- I, my, I mean my it, high school classmate SZA. SZA. Yeah. Like in terms of seeing um, good art kicked out by well trained folks who seem to revere in each case. I, I saw this in SZA and I see this in these guys too. They revere what came before. They seem to be cognizant of the landscape when they say things. They are capitulating from a position of uh, knowledge that they they are aware of the reference um, and they use the reference to say new things. That's the important part, too. And, uh, you know, SZA makes fresh new music and it's in a great direction. I think these guys are making fresh comedy. And then, look, SZA has a lot more competition in the in the music space. Considering what she does, it is a crowded room. These guys, I mean, it's not really competition. I mean, it's like they are playing in a field that's absent of a lot of uh, players at the moment, which is just, I can't believe we're saying this, but I don't know who's funny these days that you could sort of point it on a big stage. So it's like, God, make more of the shit, make them fight for it, have more competition because that's all I want to fucking see. I've been encouraging us to maybe add a new topic, not really sort of, but like, you know, where do we see these people in the future? Where do we see our relation with them? And I think it's fair to say you and I will 
definitely stop and pause and give a look to something these guys work on in the future. Yeah. Well, we, we have, Which is not the case with most of our topics. We get a weekly hit, you know? And that's the thing is that yeah. we already want, but in terms of like a feature film thing and when, however they shape yeah. out what lessons they learn from this, I'll be on it. I'll be curious to see what their next 90 minute effort looks like. You know, it'll be ambitious in a different way, I'm sure. And probably a little more, um, I don't know, more accomplished if you had to, you know. It might suck. It could suck. It's absolutely positive. Yeah, that's it's a risk you, risk you take in the world when you open your heart to to new uh, to new things. You just you just hide in your hole and just watch the same movies you've watched 30 times already. Hey, you met my, most of my friends. How about that? Yes, exactly. All right, everybody. If you want to find past episodes of this show, look on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Google Play. Tweet to us at Show. Write to us, noandbilldontgetit at gmail.com. Give us a review on the alligators. I am on Twitter, uh, speaking of Professor X, uh, at William Scurry. I'm on um, all the uh, all the things that you can find people on. Except Threads? I don't know. I feel like Threads imploded and everybody... I have not threaded in yeah, like a month. Thread- Occasionally yeah. I get a message that someone I knew in like my 20s is now following yeah, me. Yeah, really, it's not really a thing. It didn't really happen. Uh, and um, uh, yeah, and I'm on YouTube.com slash AMCaesar. And recently I uh, cut another video with our friend Kevin Marr. Uh, this is a friend of the program, even though he's not been on the program. He does, a, him and Nick Nadell use, uh, they have a channel called Atomic Abe, which is strange pop culture ephemera. And uh, me and Kevin made a video about a Vincent Price anthology show from 1958. And we go through nine minutes talking about Vincent Price's career in the context of this reality show. Very, very well done. Thank you. Every Atomic Abe thing is worth yeah. watching. Insane amounts of research. Yep. On the part of our buddy Kevin, one of the smartest people you are. And where, where can people find you, Noah? If you want to find what I'm about, go to bigquizthing.com and learn about the Big Quiz Thing, America's premier provider of corporate and private trivia events. Uh, my company. I am so proud. And um, yeah, we're, we're busy doing a lot of holiday parties. I had a couple slow weeks, my friend. November wasn't too heavy, but December is, you know, as usual, thank God. Uh, kicking into gear we're doing a lot of private parties corporate events some personal parties but uh you know there's always room for your event we have the finest team of quiz masters nationwide so go to bigquizthing.com learn about how you can bring the big quiz thing to your event whether in december or in 2024 get a customized uh, proposal a personal consultation no obligation uh, sign up for our weekly trivia email and uh follow me personally at the Noah Tarno, because it turns out there are other Noah Tarnos, N-O-A-H-D-A-R-N-O-W, the Noah Tarno on the gram of the Insta. Okay, so until the next episode, where me and Noah talk about moving into the same career space as our more famous fathers, Siegfried and Roy, at the Mandalay Bay Casino in Las Vegas. We, we don't, don't get, get it. it. A production of American Caesar Enterprises 2023.